Inside the Vatican is supported by the Hank Center at Loyola University, Chicago. On October 13th, the Hank Center welcomes Tehard Deschardin Fellow, Professor Kathleen Sprouse Cummings, and her lecture, A New Kind of Saint, Catholics and Canonization in the 21st Century. All are welcome in person in Chicago. If you're unable to attend, please register for the live stream at www.luc.edu slash ccih. I was just thinking, okay, sitting here literally at the desk where I am right now, how do I reach people? Who are the marginalized? How do I reach people that are outside the church building? Well, I drive around Atlanta a lot. I took a picture of the Pope and created this large car decal and just put it on the back of my car. It is a picture of the Pope with his hand extended, bright blue background with bright letters that say, Pope Francis wants to hear from you. And then it says at the bottom, synodality at gmail.com. And how, how big is it? It was bigger than my window, unfortunately. So I did have to, to do some maneuvering to kind of like, I have a Subaru and so the back of the window and then over and then mm. onto the back part. And just, and it's it stayed there through rainstorms and everything. So it's been there for, you know, a good nine months. I am Kathy Harmon Christian, and I live on the unceded lands of the Muscogee Creek people, also known as Stone Mountain, Georgia. I took my car in to have it serviced, and the person who services my car said to me, I used to be a Catholic, haven't been one for a while. I'm now evangelical. You know, here in Georgia, that's fairly typical or common. And I just said, well, you know, what would you say to the Pope if you could? And we had this conversation while we were standing there in the service lane. I had one person who was imprisoned in Texas who wrote me a 14-page letter. I've had a lot of conversations with trans people, with gay men, with lesbians, with bisexual people, with anyone who is under the umbrella of queer, with black Catholics. I ended up in a farmer's market and there was a gentleman that was sitting there and he had a sign and I just started to talk to him for the next 45 minutes. He told me the most extraordinary stories of his life as a homeless person, of his leaving the Catholic Church and why, particularly around racism issues and always feeling that he's never fully accepted. So why is the Vatican gathering all this feedback from people around the world? And what's going to happen with it? The Synod on Synodality asks us all to participate with an open heart. To engage people in a conversation about journeying together. The three dimensions of the theme are communion, participation, and mission. Neither the Synodal Way nor the Synod of Bishops has the power to change doctrine. In this special deep dive episode of Inside the Vatican, we're talking about the Synod on Synodality. It's what some have called the largest consultation in human history. And there are three phases. First, the consultation phase, the one Kathy was gathering responses for. The goal was to talk to as many people as possible, especially those on the margins of the church, about how the church is fostering communion, participation, and a sense of mission, and how it can do better. 
The second phase, the continental phase, will gather bishops and laypeople to talk about the findings and start coming up with ideas for how we can move forward. The third and final phase will happen in Rome and involve bishops and probably laypeople who will make proposals to the Pope. The Pope is then expected to make decisions based on that. To help us understand this whole process, we're talking with three top officials in the Vatican Synod office, along with consecrated religious and laypeople from around the world who have held creative listening sessions. We'll also hear from someone who's a thoughtful critic of this process, and we'll take on some of the most pressing questions about this synod on synodality. What are people saying in the listening sessions? There is a very, very strong feedback that we need to get rid of clericalism. Is everyone really being heard? Now, you can see at some point, the idea that this is Rome hearing my voice is just, it's, it's silly, almost to the point of being insulting. Every person's story is holy and sacred. And to the extent that you truncate that or synthesize it, you are interrupting that. And if the church is meant to be walking together on this synodal journey, what is our destination? I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. When the Vatican announced the Synod on Synodality, a lot of people were confused about what it meant. Why would the Catholic Church ask laity, who, in my opinion, a lot of them don't even know the teachings of the Church, so why would you even ask them what do they think about like the morality teachings of the Church? Is there a relevant- Did Pope Francis just initiate the Third Vatican Council, if you've watched this YouTube channel. Synodality isn't an easy word to define. And a synod on synodality almost sounded like a joke. Right away, the Italian press were calling it il metasinodo, the meta-synod. When I asked one priest about his parish's plans, he asked me, isn't this just a meeting about having meetings? I think communicating synodality and the synodal process around the world is very challenging. This is Thierry Bonaventura. I'm the communication manager of the General Secretariat of the Synod. The concept itself of synodality, it has been difficult. I am quite hardly using uh, the word synodality. I prefer to talk about uh, a listening church, walking together. So what exactly is synodality? After a year of covering this, here's my best shot. Synodality is a way of making decisions in the church collaboratively, with lay people and bishops, men and women, all being able to give and receive input in order to work together. But this is a very different way of being church than the top-down, hierarchical model that the Catholic Church has had for centuries. Which means getting people on board is going to take a while. Here's what's happened over the past year. The Vatican announced the Synod in March 2021, some dioceses got straight to planning listening sessions. Others were more hesitant. They wanted step-by-step -step guidelines. The Synod Office produced those guidelines in September, and they basically explained the main questions and topics for the listening sessions and how to hold one, plus where this process was going next. But when those guidelines came out, the Vatican received a lot of complaints that there wasn't enough time or resources to do what was asked. 
So when the Synod started in October 2021, only one month after the guidelines were released, it came as no surprise that only about half of U.S. dioceses had even taken the first step of appointing a local Synod coordinator. It was at this time that Thierry Bonaventura joined the Vatican Synod office. When I arrived, it was clear that the project was a three-year project. Uh, for me, before launching it, I would have uh, pushed quite a lot to say, no, it's a 20 years project. Uh, probably things could have been done in a better way with more preparation and so on. Tichy's office, the general secretariat of the Synod, adjusted course. They extended the deadline for the summaries from April to August 2022. This gave dioceses nearly 10 months to plan and hold listening sessions and send them to the bishops' conference, like the USCCB. And despite the shaky start, the responses came in. At the start of October, 112 of the world's 114 bishops' conferences had sent their reports to the Vatican. The Church was weighing in. My impression is really that people have been listened to. This is Sister Natalie Bacar. She's one of the two undersecretaries in the Vatican Synod office. And she's the first woman in history to hold a top leadership role there. There have been listening sessions, synodal groups, different ways to do the process according to the methodology we suggested, the preparatory document, but also with a lot of creativity. I can give a funny example. I often say that synodality begins with a coffee. Because it, it, it's about, you know, the spirit of encounter, uh, being together. The Diocese of Davenport, Iowa, actually tried this caffeinated approach to synodality. I think I, are these all coasters? Yeah. Oh. Here, open it. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. We have, to, we have to record it. Here, take these things out of your hands. They ordered coffee mug coasters for a campaign they called the 58,000 Cups of Coffee Initiative. With these coasters, they invited everyone in the pews to have three conversations over coffee. So that, that's, that's a funny example, but very interesting and very creative. Here's Tichy again. Another big surprise that I can say uh, of this first stage of the synodal process is the creativity of local communities like the Synodal coffee, the synodal socks. <laughs> Hold on, what are the synodal socks? I've heard about the coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one diocese. Uh, I do not remember exactly which name, but I think it was uh, in America. We just decided just to produce socks uh, with the logo of the synod, which was, I think, a good way uh, and a very interesting way on how to uh, express this working together as a community. It was very also interesting to see this creativity in trying to reach what we can call communities or people living at the peripheries of our churches. The Vatican's instructions made clear that in every diocese, there should be an effort to listen to the people on the margins, from those who aren't involved in the parish to those who left the church or have never been a part of it. Some people took this idea really seriously, and they ran with it. For Deacon Luis Zuniga in the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas, that meant crossing an international border. For the church, there's really no borders. The Brownsville Diocese teamed up for a joint listening session with the Diocese of Metamoros, Mexico, just across the Rio Grande. 
the delegation from Matamoros was about 20, which included clergy, religious, and laity. Uh, the same thing from the Diocese of Brownsville. So the river really doesn't divide us. It actually uh, unites us because of our faith. Deacon Louise told me his cross-border listening session focused a lot on the material struggles in the community. Inflation on both sides of the border, poverty, drug use, immigration. But it also gave people a chance to talk about how they'd been hurt by the church. People are angry with the church. And, and, and it's okay. We need, to, we need to hear people that are hurt. Sometimes maybe, maybe a, a priest uh, uh, ignored someone or, or didn't want to celebrate a, a baptism or a wedding or, or a quinceañera or what, you know, whatever it is. Or sometimes they get hurt you know, with the deacon or, or with the religious or, or even with lay people that are in leadership. We need to listen to, to people that, that are hurt so that we can help them to heal. Did anything surprise you that was brought up? Not necessarily, because I, I had uh, coordinated a, a diocesan senate for, for Bishop Peña, uh, who was the bishop before Bishop Flores. That was from 1999 to 2004. And then in 2018, Deacon Luis helped organize the Fifth Encuentro, which was a four-year process focused on how the American church can better minister to Latino Catholics. It was, by all accounts, the biggest synodal process the U.S. Church had seen up until now. What the Encuentro, if anything, to me, told the, the, the bigger church is that we need to pay attention to, to the growing numbers or population of, of Hispanics in the, in the U.S. My hope is that we need to invest on our, on our lay leaders. And for, to me, lay ministry formation is a reminder of, of what is the role of the laity in the church. That, you know, you don't have to be a bishop or, or a priest or a deacon or a religious to serve the church. For others, going to the margins meant listening to the smallest of voices. My name is Sister Marie-Hélène Dupré-Latour, and I have lived for 10 years in Jemena and Chad, where I work, above all, with children. Sister Marie-Hélène saw that her parish was hosting all kinds of listening sessions, for women, for men, for young people, but still there were voices that would go unheard. And so she proposed two listening sessions, specifically with and for children one in French, and one in Chadian Arabic. In the end, about 15 or 20 children from ages 5 to 13 came. A good turnout for her small parish. Even in our parish, there are orphans. Generally, they live with their family, with an aunt, with an uncle, but they aren't treated well by their uncles and aunts. Even here, in our parish, it's like this. Some of those orphans came to the children's listening session. I asked Sister Marie-Hélène what she heard from the kids. Ah, it totally surprised me. They said, we children want to go to the burials of older people. No one wants us to come, but it concerns us. We want to go too. They continued, older people don't listen to us very much. When we tell them the truth, they don't like it. They don't listen to us. Don't we have a need to speak? 
Children have so much to tell us, but to tell you the whole story, we haven't yet seen the restitution or even had a whiff of it. I hope it happens. What I can say for now is that it changed my relationship with these children. We're going to communicate with them more so they can more easily speak and speak in front of everyone. None of the creative people we talked to, Kathy, Deacon Luis, or Sister Maria Len, know the impact that their synodal listening will have for the wider church. But they do know how they've been personally transformed through conversation. That's the intangible but perhaps most important result of this synod. Building relationships, learning to listen, and seeing that we're all walking together. After the break, what we're walking together towards, and how we get there. Before the break, we heard about the work that's been going on for the last year, in phase one of the Synod, what the Vatican's been calling the consultation phase. By the end of June, each diocese was expected to send its report to the bishops' conference. The USCCB ultimately got 290 from dioceses and from other groups. And each bishops' conference compiled those into its own 10-page report, which it sent to the Vatican in August. A group of 35 experts read the reports and traveled to Frascati, Italy in September to compile one global report. That will be released on October 18th. It's hard to get a good sense of what will emerge in this report. After all, it's the synthesis of over 114 national reports in different languages. And the experts who have been working on the document have kept mum on any details. The only clues I got were from Sister Natalie Bacar, who told me this in September. We can see already that there are very strong points that are coming from everywhere. The question of uh, young people, the question of women, the question of welcoming people uh, who are more on the margin is also coming from everywhere. There is a very, very strong feedback that we need to get rid of clericalism. Sister Natalie sees clericalism as the opposite of synodality. Clericalism, in, in the vision of Pope Francis, is a way to uh, exercise the authority uh, in a very personal way that especially separates the clergy from uh, the other members uh, of the people of God. So uh, we can say, in a way, that the vision of a synodal church is a way to get rid of clerical uh, vision that has produced also so many abuses of power. Clericalism is, is not coming only from the, the priest. It's also coming from many, many lay people who haven't discovered yet uh, that they are called to be protagonists to carry on the mission of the church together. 
Now, that vision of lay people as protagonists seems to be in tension with the reality of a hierarchical church. Even within the synodal process, the plan as it was originally announced was for feedback to come in from lay people, be filtered up through bishops' conferences, compiled by the Vatican, discussed by bishops on a continental level, and then sent out to the final assembly of bishops at the Vatican next year and eventually turned into a document by the Pope. In other words, a brief period of listening to lay people, followed by a lot of time for the bishops to parse it, and in some critics' minds, tone it down. Or so it seemed. On the 21st September, a group of 35 people summoned from all continents. Here's Cardinal Mario Grech talking with Jerry O'Connell, my co-host on Inside the Vatican, about this meeting of 35 people in Frascati and what happens next. So 35 people, are they bishops, lay people? It's a a mix, is it? It's a mix. (laughs) Out of 35, there are only two bishops. The others are, I mean, uh, religious, laity. And, um, and women. And women, of course. Yes, yes. yes. And coming from different um, continents. Because I believe that there is, it's one way to read something, no? With the lenses of a European. And one thing to read the same text um, from the point of view of an African for, or a nation. No? So we are going to be together for two weeks. And hopefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will manage to make um, a report. So you're going to bring a report and you show it to the Pope? This report, I mean, it will be drafted by the team. Then the council, what we call the board, is also to be part of this. And they will join us for the last two days. This is a council of bishops who were elected at the 2018 Synod. The council has this mandate to approve the document no, prepared by this team. Right. Then once the council approves, we will present that to the Holy Father. And when the Holy Father gives his approval, then we will publish that. And it will go, first and foremost, to every diocesan bishop. Why? Even here, we are trying to put into place this concept of circularity. So it will go back to the particular churches. We are inviting every bishop to convene his church, uh, in particular his consulting bodies, to read this document for two reasons. First of all, to see whether his church is present, if the document reflects his church. It's a sort of a restitution, no? And also, every local church can be aware what other churches are saying. So this is a sharing and and a second listening, if you wish. It is a second listen, but not a fresh one. So just to break down lay involvement in this, there are listening sessions with lay people, and the feedback from those has been compiled by a team of both ordained and lay people in the diocese, and then again at the national level. And the global report was put together in Frascati by a group that appears to be roughly 50% lay. At every juncture in the synodal process, we see the fingerprints of the laity. 
After the Global Report, it's on to the Continental Assemblies. At these Continental Assemblies, uh, what's going to happen? Who's going to be there? I cannot give you a concrete reply. Why? Because we are accompanying these Continental Assemblies. And it's up to them to decide who will participate. Those assemblies are being planned right now. It looks like most continents are going to split into regional gatherings first and then have one final assembly to pull together their reports. Cardinal Grech said no matter what form they take, these have to have two moments. There must be the ecclesial assembly and a moment for the bishops. I mean, the bishops have to listen to, no? And then it's up to them to, to, to reach the conclusions. But obviously, they have to give a reason to the assembly. That ecclesial assembly, the one before the bishop's moment, is meant to include a variety of people. Priests, religious, lay, men and women. And also, the Vatican has said, it must include the marginalized. In fact, between January and March, they are going to hold this continental assembly. And then they will present their conclusions. They will send those to our office. We will draft another document which will integrate these submissions. And that will be the document that guides that final meeting in Rome in October 2023. When you get the feedback from the continental assemblies, are you going to do a similar process, kind of go out to Frascati, uh, sit down with a group? Uh, is that your plan? Up to now, I cannot, I cannot say, because it depends on... It's a work in progress. Work in pro and it depends what, uh, of the nature of the material that we will get. So that's what we know so far. In past synods under Pope Francis, lay people have always been invited to be part of the bishop's final assembly in Rome. And it's hard to imagine they wouldn't be included in this one as well. But generally speaking, it's been the bishops who consult with laypeople and then make their final discernment. What's new here is what our guests have been calling the circularity or restitution. This isn't a one-directional process where feedback comes from laypeople, travels up through bishops, and then goes on to the Pope for a final decision. Instead, these discussions are ongoing. The Frascati report is sent back for further discussion and checks by the local churches, and so on. Cardinal Grech even sees this process as ending with the local churches rather than ending in Rome. So there is this sort of circularity. What departs, starts from the people of God, should arrive to the people of God. There are a lot of questions about whether that'll work. And there are a lot of unknowns that come along with taking on such a new and open-ended process. My initial hesitation about the Synod and Synodality is I just didn't know what it was. This is Stephen White. He's the director of the Catholic Project at the Catholic University of America. The idea of a Synod is an ancient idea in the Church, um, but it was clear fairly early on in this pontificate that Francis was using it in a, a novel way. And the more I the more I looked at it, the, the more it actually made sense to me. I think that there is a, um, a meaning of synodality that is profound, that is essential to the to the church. 
and I think you can find this idea of synodality in Pope Francis in his words and his writing. Um, but I think that there's a, a significant gap between how most people encounter the synod and synodality and how Pope Francis speaks about it. The best definition I can give myself of, of what synodality is, and this is as I understand Pope Francis to mean it, is essentially Lumen Gentium in action. Yeah, and tell me what you mean by that. Well, uh, so Lumen Gentium is a constitution on the church from the Second Vatican Council, and it speaks about uh, the church, what the church is, the people of God, and it has a whole section on the lady where it emphasizes the universal call to holiness that we all share in by virtue of our baptism. Synodality is a kind of counterpoint to a certain manifestation of, of clericalism. The idea being that, that the clergy aren't the people who are the church and do the work of the church, and the rest of us are just sort of along for the ride. That's not good enough. But according to Stephen, the way that the synod has been structured and advertised doesn't reflect that baptismal call. I think a lot of people in a lot of places have promoted the synod as a kind of either a referendum or a, a kind of political activity within the church. The, the idea that this is the church, the Catholic church becoming a democracy where everyone gets to have their voice heard. And I think that's a problem for two reasons. One uh, is because it's not true, but also because it sets up an expectation that the synod can't possibly follow through on. Take, for example, the idea there were a lot of materials that express the idea of synodality as an opportunity to have your voice heard. Now, that's sort of a, a nice sounding cliche, but the way the synod works so far is that you've had all of these diocesan level meetings where people come and they listen to one another. Sometimes they're answering questions on a questionnaire. Sometimes they're they're um, voicing their opinions or thoughts to their, their local pastor. But the idea that you're going to take several million people, the idea that they're all going to show up, give their two cents, that's going to be condensed into a document that's no more than 10 pages long, which will then be submitted to the USCCB, which will then be sort of put into a national synthesis, which will then be submitted to a continental phase where there'll be uh, another round of synthesis that will then be sent on to Rome to, for a global synthesis. Now, you can see at some point, the idea that this is Rome hearing my voice is just, it's, it's silly, almost to the point of being insulting. And he thinks the synodal process has also ended up focusing more inwardly on church issues, which takes away from the outward focus on evangelization. If the Catholic lady wants to look at what its mission is and how well are we carrying out our mission as, as baptized members of the laity, um, internal church affairs is not the primary place that I would look. In my reporting on the Synod, I've found these same concerns are shared by a variety of people, even if they're coming from different angles. Another concern we've heard is that the number of people participating is low. Response levels to the Synod haven't been very good across, across the globe, at least in the West, right? When you've got maybe 1% of people responding, you know, participating in the Synod, and that's participating in the Synod in that sense means so much as answering a questionnaire. The idea that this is some endeavor in which the entire body of Christ around the world is deeply engaged, it's just, it's not true. The Vatican wasn't able to confirm this 1% statistic because most of the reports they received didn't include counts of how many people were consulted. Jerry asked Cardinal Grackmore about this. Listen, we are not after numbers. But what really is interesting is that, if not all, but the majority, 
the way that they drafted the report shows that they took this process very seriously. They really tried to engage not only themselves, but also the communities. So it seems like Cardinal Grec is more concerned with the depth of engagement than with the breadth. I can't stress enough how new this process is. The Catholic Church has never tried something like this before, so it makes sense that after just one phase, there would be growing pains. It is clear that dioceses needed more time and resources, and that synodality is a difficult topic to communicate, which makes getting the word out an even bigger challenge. And as with any synod, it isn't totally clear what will come out of this. But what we've seen so far is that people around the world are taking this seriously, despite the usual naysayers that we've come to expect around every synod. All but two of the world's bishops' conferences have turned in their reports, and many are broaching difficult subjects that they've never discussed openly before, like women's ordination, the experiences of LGBT people, and clericalism. What really strikes me is that even with the uncertainty around what the next phases will look like and what ideas will be proposed and enacted, people are really leaning into this new way of being church. People like Deacon Luis, Kathy, and Sister Marie Len. Even Stephen White, a more critical voice, has held listening sessions with the community at his university. Every time I ask people why they're doing this and what keeps them going, they said the same thing. We may not know where we're going, but we trust the Holy Spirit is guiding us. I would say we are still satisfied because we have also this proof that really the project is not in our hand. We are not alone. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This Deep Dive episode was written by me, Colleen Dilley. It was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Special thanks to my co-host Gerard O'Connell for interviewing Cardinal Grec, to Jill Rice for providing the English voice of Sister Maria Len, and to Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome for production assistance. If you liked this deep dive episode, please help us spread the word about the show by sharing it with a friend or posting it on social media. You can also support our work by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week for a regular episode of Inside the Vatican. <laughs>